Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Oppress. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. Alexa, what is the baddest podcast in the land? Here's Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup, and that coffee is best two to 14 days after it's been roasted. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening and what you know good, people would like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest podcast in the land. We're hitting you with the dopest topics, the rawest opinion, while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. I'm Press. We're giving sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. On this episode, we are joined by a special guest, Jeffrey Carter from PRMG, as we pull back the curtain on the best practices in securing home ownership and unlocking investment opportunities. Press, what's popping, baby? Jules, man. How you feeling, brother? Man, I've been all good, man. been blessed, man. It's just been... It's been one of the weeks, man. I've been kind of busy. Yeah, streets got you out there humping, huh? Oh, man. The streets, family, friends, strangers. I don't know, man. I'm just, you know, I, real quick, man. I uh, I was helping my sister-in-law out, man. And uh, I had to drive her to Louisville, Kentucky, to pick up a puppy from a breeder. Yeah. And it wasn't no vacation type thing. It was, I drove there, picked the puppy up, and I drove back. So, it, man, that was a long day, man. Let me get this straight. Y'all didn't stay there. Y'all didn't go to dinner. Y'all picked up the pup and it turned right back around and left, huh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> I think I think you should get some sort of award for that. And the missus should have whipped you up the best dinner ever because, bro, that's a lot of driving. I ain't oh, doing man. it. I ain't doing it. Look, you know what? You know, the missus, she took care of me, man. More ways than one. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, <boy>. and, uh, <laughs> and you know, and, um, uh, you know, my sister-in-law was able to get a puppy, so, man, it worked, but, man, whoo, that was a hike. You know me, man. I put that, that music on, that Prince, that Morris Day, man, I was gone. 
<laughs> you had that playlist going, huh? Oh, yeah. Yes, little sir. Ra- little, little Raspberry Beret. <laughs> yes, sir. Man. But, hey, how about you, babe? How, how you living? Man, you know, I'm good, man. You know, me and AW, we got that the Bears pod. And so that's been tough, man, like talking about the Bears. So that one's had me busy. But just also, it's just really depressing. You know, the fan base, they're trash sometimes with their takes and, the, you know, kind of the stuff that they they talk about. And actually, coincidentally, listeners, Jeffrey Carter that's coming on our show here in a second. He's actually a diehard Bears fan, but he's not one of those trash fans. So he's got a lot of information here on the real estate market that he'll be able to kind of give you guys some some insight on. But now, nah, man, I've been cooling out, man. Uh, got finals uh, next week, man, and just trying to gear up for the holidays, brother. So not, nothing too much over here for me, bro. Okay. All right. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to, as our audience probably remembered, we talked about some of those disparities in uh, the lending practices uh, in Chicago. And we pointed out Chase Bank as being one of the ones that had like the biggest disparity. I wanted to make sure that our audience knew of some of the other banks that we've also seen some of those disparities before we bring Jeffrey in, because Jeffrey's going to have a lot of nuggets and jewels that he's going to drop on us today. But Jules, we didn't mention uh, the fact that that Wells Fargo, they also uh, have a pretty large disparity in their lending practices. Um, Mm. Not sure if you saw of any of the other institutions, but that one, they're 10 times more likely to lend uh, to people that are not of color, right? And so that's something that, you know, we see as, as a, another problem when it comes to some of these disparities that we that we talk about. There's a big gap between investing the loan in, in the Black neighborhoods and the white neighborhoods, Hispanic neighborhoods and stuff. Like I say, Guarantee Rate, J.P. Morgan, like I say, Wells Fargo, Wintrust, all of them, the disparity on where they putting their money at, you know, guarantee rate, 73% of it goes in the white neighborhood, while only 5% black and 6.5% in the Latino neighborhood. J.P. Morgan, we talked about 80% in the white neighborhood, 2% in black, Jesus, 2% in the blacks and 5% in the, in, in the Latino neighborhood. Wells Fargo, 77%. Wintrust, 64%. And only 7 and 8% in the black neighborhoods and Hispanic neighborhoods, 5 and 9%. You know, something to be also looked at, they invest in just a little more. It's not, not a lot but just a little more in these Latino neighborhoods than rather than black. That's something to look at and pay attention to because what are they telling you? You know what I'm saying? Are they looking out for more? Are the next people they looking out for more is Latino neighborhoods and stuff like that? I don't have no problem with my essay brothers and sisters. They cool and stuff, but hey, I want to make sure our people are taken care of. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point because, I mean, for every dollar that these banks are loaning in Chicago neighborhoods that are, uh, that are uh, white, They've only invested 12 cents in us in our black communities. And it's also 13 cents in Hispanic neighborhoods as well. So I feel like they might have like a little bit better success, but I still think they're kind of like in the same uh kind of in the same boat yeah. as us. But I think at the end of the day, man, I think people just they don't realize that uh lending for home purchases determine a lot in communities, right? Because it determines whether you have a pharmacy or a grocery store to shop at. Mm-hmm. You know, just basic resources that a lot of us kind of take for granted in our everyday lives. So I think that's just one of the things for us to kind of to keep in mind here. But what Jules mentioned, he mentioned to all of those banks, the biggest common denominator we see there is that these are bigger banks and these bigger banks aren't lending at the at the rate that they are for, you know, the white neighborhoods. Right. And so those are some of the things that we wanted to bring up and just kind of remind people so that that kind of cleans up a little bit of what we talked about in that last episode. Um, So without further ado, I want to bring our guest Jeffrey Carter in from PRMG. Jeffrey. Talk to him. How you doing there, brother? Hello. Hello, sir. Sorry about that. A little slow on the trigger there. <laughs> <laughs> you okay? 
All good, brother. All good. We doing good, man. Jeffrey's over here in all his bear gear, true to who he is, <laughs> diehard Bears fan. Born and raised in Chi-Town, right, Jeffrey? Yes, I was. And I, and I got a quick little story, if you don't mind. I want to interject for something you guys were saying. Back in the day when I first started this business, so let me start here and say, you can call me either an old fart, a dinosaur, or a veteran, because I've been in this game since 1993 and... Wells Fargo taught me everything I knew. So I'll give him some credit. And okay. back in the day, Wells was doing good. And let me give you, and that's why I'm not there now, but let me give <laughs> you an idea of what was happening back in the day. Back sure. in the day, there was a lot of fraudulent things going on in the communities. Once upon a time, real estate agent, attorney, title company, appraisers, and a developer, they all got together and was defrauding older Black individuals in the West Side community. Mm. So they were selling them homes that were broken down, decrepit, things not right, making them think that they were getting something that they weren't. And Wells Fargo got together with HUD to do a FHA project for 203K rehabs. So what they did is, and, and I was involved in this, we went to the West Side, we had a meeting with all of the community members and some homeowners to get them to trust us again, because they were in homes that were so run down and terrible, with things not working, plumbing, stuff falling apart. It, it was atrocious, dude, I'm telling you. But our job, HUD said that we were going to come in, we were going to redo everything for them. The loan would be free for them, a free rehab loan to make amends of all the fraudulent things that were going on because there were about 75 to 100 people that were defrauded. And this guy who was the developer who started this and got all these people together to defraud them, he went to jail. His company went to jail, but he came back like five years later and changed the name of the company. Oh, wow. but the, the 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 thing is that we at least helped those people. Give them we did rehabs on their properties and got them up to speed. Mm-hmm. And I felt so bad because it was like a town hall meeting, and you're listening to all the stuff they went through. And some of these people were older. It was just it like broke my heart, dude. But I was so glad that Wells was a part of that back then doing those kind of things but (laughs) well to be honest with you that's good to hear that kind of stuff because that's the stuff that we don't hear about because when we think about the very thing that you brought up jeffrey we don't hear about the people coming to those people's rescue we just hear about the destruction that happens to those individuals and how they get taken advantage of Mm -hmm. so i thank you for dropping that on Mm -hmm. us i mean jules that that was good to know and good to hear yes sir I didn't mean to get off topic, but it just brought back memories when uh-uh. you guys brought that. That's why we got yeah. you all because that's the knowledge that we want you to hit our that our hit our listeners with, man. Because that's really important for people to know. Because Jeffrey, what we've kind of talked about the last couple of episodes, we've talked about the the redlining practices in the past, but we also talked a little bit about some of the more modern redlining that we're seeing, where it's not really the racism aspect of it, but we're seeing more systemically that we still see that the laws are being kind of manipulated a little bit. So that's kind of what we've been speaking to. Mm-hmm. I'll bring that point up that you you guys brought up before about Chase. So when COVID hit, I do know that it, it was a strain on a lot of lenders. So I'll give you that. 
a lot of lenders had to change their credit score requirements because of the risk factor of people losing their jobs from COVID. Um, whereas one time the standard might have been a 640 credit score for a lot of lenders. Some went to 660 and even 680. Chase went to 720% down. So oh. that eliminates a lot of people. Hell of yeah. So I'm going to, I'm not going to even just talk about blacks because I am one who is big on our black and brown communities because they all are taught ingrained when they're younger. Oh, you need 20% down. You need a <laughs> 700 credit score. Yep. Uh, you're just born to rent all your life. And so people don't know that there are options and activities to help you. So when you go 20% down, 700 credit score, that's eliminating whom? Yeah. Off the top, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So they just pretty, pretty much told everybody, we only want pristine people now. Yeah. So what, what they try to tell you, because in, in that situation, what you're doing is you're basically saying, look, it's OK for you to deposit your money into this bank, but we're not going to give you a damn thing. <laughs> exactly. If you don't have this amount of money and you don't have this kind of credit, we don't want you. That's basically. Yeah. Seven hundred, man. That's that's high. You know, that is a lot of people. I mean, that, that's when we usually look at seven hundred. I'm just usually jumping out of my seat. Ooh, what? What? <laughs> you right. like, okay. like? Come on over here. Let's talk. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and yeah, I'm like, whoa. And like that's one. Hey. And that's the thing about your your spot, uh, Jeffrey. Is that man? You you guys take take people with you know. A little less credit yes. school. Well, five to so six hundred. Five eighty is our five standard right now during the COVID. We require three months reserves, but most lending institutions went to six forty, six sixty. We are still at five eighty during COVID. Now, COVID has changed a lot of things. So I don't want to make it seem like some people are bad. Some of my competition is bad. I get the risk factors because. Sure. You just don't know if people are going to keep their job. I, I get the risk, but our company is owned by two guys who their philosophies were similar to mine. So they they chased me around for like a few years and they got me because they're into technology, they're into customer service, and they're into families. They are all about helping people, communities, building up wealth through real estate. And that's my philosophy. So that's why they finally got me and I joined them. But 580 is what we look at. We try to do programs that's involved with DACA, I-10. We try to find all kinds of things to help everyone, low to moderate people, especially because a lot of lenders are just trying to stay to deal with customers who are not as high risk. Exactly. And one of the things, too, Jeffrey, that you brought up a phenomenal point, and this is something that me and Jules bring up. We realize that these institutions, they're in business to make a profit. But what Correct. we but what we always say is, is there some sort of way that we could bridge that gap? Meaning, hey, listen, there are some people out here that may not have these higher credit scores, but they're good people. They're good for it. They work. Is there a way that we could bridge that gap to say, hey, you know what? Here's some sort of funding or some sort of program that we could put in place that maybe kind of bridge the gap from where you're falling short. So that way it doesn't come off like we're just looking at you like, nah, you're undesirable, <laughs> go over there. <laughs> like, what, what, what do you guys think there when it comes to that? So what has happened um, in the last, oh, I'm going to say 
even back when I started. So what was happening is the banks were strict and they weren't lending to uh, lower economic situations. So then you started seeing all these mom and pop shops of mortgage companies coming out of the woodwork everywhere with all these crazy programs saying stated income, no docs, blah, blah, blah. So you'd have a guy who says he's a cashier at Walmart buying a $500,000 house. <laughs> Something's what? not right there. So no. that, that's what <laughs> turns the industry around and everything became fraudulent and the industry went crazy in 2009 and it went okay. down the pipe. So all yep. those kind of shops disappeared because now they're losing business and they can't make any money. What you'll see is more mortgage companies that are stable are in there. And those are the people who will do more business with people in lower economic situations. So some of the banks, depending on where they are nationally, they're probably more strict. But if you go to a mortgage company or a mortgage lender or a mortgage broker, you have those options. Now that's really good to hear. One of the things that you brought up earlier, you talked about a little bit of the credit score. So what are some areas where you think that people can, you know, boost their their credit scores? What, what are some advice that you have for people out here that are looking to kind of get their credit back in shape? First of all, I want to preface this by apologizing if my internet isn't good. I'm at a an off-site location. And so if it breaks in or that's something, I apologize. Let me say this. A lot of people are looking at Credit Karma to get their credit scores. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tell everybody that's listening right now, Credit Karma is awesome when it comes to updating you, giving you information, letting you know what's happening. But their scoring model matches nothing close to what the lender's scoring model is. So do not use that as the basis of this is my credit score because it is. Uh, so I'll start there. Now, what I normally see on a lot of these things, or a lot of reports, are people maximizing, if they have credit, they're maxing out their cards or maxing out whatever installment loan. So the best way without going to the next step, the best way on that, if you're making your payments on time, is to keep your balances 35% or less. That helps boost your score because when you max something out, you're a risk and you're a high risk because the next thing is defaulting on a payment. That's when your scores start dropping is when you maximize your credit limits. The other things that I would tell people to do is please make your payments on time. I know it can be tough. And um, if you're a few days behind on your payments, that's okay because they cannot report you on the credit bureau unless you're 30 days late. So That's good when you get right. these notifications and it says, oh, after 10 days, you get a late fee. Now they can charge you a late fee, but they cannot report you as being late on the credit report. So okay. when that happens, let them know because I have helped many of my clients get that erased because that is not allowed. It has to be 30 days late. So try to keep your payments within a time. I'll tell you another quick story, and I'm sorry when I jump in here, but I, I helped a client because uh, we have a credit service that we work with with our company. And I helped the client get from a 530 credit score, took him about seven, eight months maybe into the next year. And he got it up to 642. Oh, wise. Nice. Got him a realtor. He got out there. We were getting a house. 
it was all looking good. I was so happy for him. I mean, he's a nice guy, a Hispanic Pepsi driver, and I was really happy for him. And we got about a week before closing, and I had run his credit long enough before we started the process that his report was expiring, so I had to run it again. I ran it again, and his report, his score dropped down to 560. And I looked. It was because he just had a 30-day late payment on a credit card. And I approached him. I said, is this accurate? Are you, what's going on? I'm like, come on, man. We went through all of this to get your score mm-hmm. here. And mm-hmm. you did this. No, right before you're closing. But so that's <laughs> like huge. You just want to make your payments on the time. And especially around that time and, where you're looking to buy something, man, you got to be on man. the up and up the P's and Q's, man. <laughs> exactly. Because yeah. that's what we're looking at. Yeah. Now, had I not had to run it again, we it probably would have never found it. But because I had to run it again because it had expired right. and it came up. Right. And he that, probably thought we wouldn't see it. <laughs> well, that, well, hey, hey, well, that's why they say don't go there and making big purchases when you're about to buy a house and stuff like that. So, man. Correct. We send out videos during mm-hmm. the process. I talk to them like, don't buy it. And then you can do what you need to do. But that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So you basically hit on so many jewels there. And I just wanted to just kind of just backtrack. So the, one of the things that you brought up that I really thought was powerful is in the sense of people understanding credit karma and how to use that, right? Also, understanding what your credit score is. And if you don't understand that, then that's why you reach out to someone like Jeffrey that can give you that knowledge and give you guidance and basically help you (laughs) to enter this process correctly. Because Jeffrey, you are so correct with that. You don't know how many people I know when they go into, whether it's a car loan or a home loan, and they're like, well, I hit up credit karma. They said, I'm a 722. And then they have that surprise when they go into the office and someone's telling them like, no, son. (laughs) That's true. That happens all the time. And when they tell me, I thought my scores, I said, did you look at Credit Karma? Well, yeah. I'm like, like, I don't fault you at all because I know you didn't know. But then I tried to explain to them. There is a difference. I'm like, Credit Karma, they're awesome when it comes to keeping you up to date, letting you know something's happening. There's a warning. Somebody's checking into this. They're great with that. But please don't use their scoring model because it won't match any lenders. So that's an important thing. If you really want to know where you stand, you can go to uh, the free annual credit report. That's free. I have links to a couple of others. One is you pay a dollar and you can get it, but you're getting actual scores that's going to match the same thing we as a lender. That free report, you can get that once a year, correct? Correct. And is that all bureaus? Yes. And that's the beautiful thing is that you'll have three bureaus, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, and you'll have them all. And that way you know where you stand. Yeah, that's awesome there. That's awesome. So one thing that I wanted you to to touch on when it comes to, you mentioned earlier, the, the uh, the renting versus the owning factors, right? So a lot of what we've talked about on this episode is the fact that within our communities, a lot of us aren't owners, right? We have no equity within the communities that which we come from that we live in. So when you're working with some of your clients, what are some of those factors that they're kind of like balancing when they're looking at whether they should continue to rent versus owning, right? Because a lot of people just automatically assume when I buy a home, it's going to be cheaper than when I pay for rent. But can you talk to us about some of those factors that you're seeing with your clients that you work with? 
So a lot of times, some of the marketing things that I do with real estate agents is just like that. So I'll ask them, what do you pay for rent? And they can give me a number and I can equate it to their marketplace. So I know we are all big Chicago people, but I'm licensed in 48 states. So I do things everywhere. So I try what I do is find out what they're paying. And then I tell them, did you know that paying this amount for rent could get you a payment of, let's say, let's just use numbers, $700 for rent can get you a payment where you can purchase a home for $135,000 or $140,000. So instead of paying this guy's mortgage and him having ownership, your landlord, you could be a homeowner and take pride in your yard, take pride in your pool, mm-hmm. take pride mm-hmm. in your neighborhood. Because that's the American dream. Don't let anybody talk you out of it and make you think that you are born to be a renter. There are options to help you become a homeowner and empower yourself as well. That was phenomenal right there, brother. Right. I mean, you, he, it seemed like he'd been listening to us off season because that's the tenor of what we've been talking about here, man. Because we all know the pride in owning, right? The pride of basically having that sense of pride in where you come from. Because uh, I'm a South Sider, Jules as well. He grew up in Inglewood. So we see a lot of what's going on in these communities, how they've been broken apart, and really stripped of all resources and things of that nature. And so we've talked about on the show, uh, Jeffrey, a lot of these programs in the community now trying to do some of those buy, buy back the community, buy back the block type of programs. And there's a lot of different resources and things that are kind of trying to help develop those communities back. But I really love that with your idea, with your customers and really trying to get them to, you know, push them towards that, that ownership piece, because right. there's nothing like it. <laughs> and, 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 and the bottom line is, depending on where you grew up, it's ingrained in your head that you can't do it. So somebody needs to be your cheerleader to make mm-hmm. you feel like there's a possibility. And that's what we want to do. If Jules, you said Jules was from the, uh, Inglewood. Yes, My sir. first job at a bank was Chicago City Bank right there on 63rd in Halston. Oh, so yeah. let me tell you, I yeah. know uh-huh. the Inglewood community. <laughs> and I, I do remember back in the day when you used to go down there and there were all kinds of street vendors down uh-huh. there. I was like, oh, yeah. Yo. The Halston and Street Mall. Inglewood yep. was, yes. And Inglewood <laughs> was a bad area at one point in time. And then I started noticing before I left the city that Inglewood and Kenwood area, they were buying, people were buying up properties all over there and building that community back up again. So that's what it's going to take is we got to convince people to understand that you can own just like Joe Blow. Just because Joe Blow was born into a silver spoon doesn't mean that you who worked hard scrubbing floors can't get a house as well. So Talk let's to work him. on finding ways to help. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is, man. We talk about, too, the privilege of some. And, we, and Jules and I, we, we're, and Jeffrey as well, we're not hating on anybody. Listen, your opportunity is your opportunity over there, person that has yep. the silver spoon. Mm-hmm. But we want to empower our people to have the tools to, if you weren't taught these things, if you didn't have the path set for you, guess what? We want to arm you with those resources now to figure out what you could do to put yourself in that position, right? Because we want to start as a people starting to pass down wealth because we see in other cultures that that happens for them. It doesn't happen for us in this community. And so that's a lot of why we wanted to have you on here because this information I think is so important. And these are the conversations that I think we need to hear more of now. 
in the lending business in a whole has tried to make things better for all races. They come up with the FHA loan, three and a half percent down. They come up with uh, home possible and home ready for conventional buyers, three percent down. They have VA loans, no money down. They have USDA loans. You can't use that in the city. It has to be outlying areas in some cities and states, but that's zero percent down. So they are doing things to help people come in with as little money as possible. So it it's not financially unfeasible for somebody to own. Let me ask you a question in regards to PMIs. Obviously, a lot of people may not have the resources to come up with a 20%. So you talked about a few of these different programs, but can you kind of explain to some of the people that may not understand the effects of having a PMI, just where people kind of be more understanding of that? So PMI is private mortgage insurance on the conventional side. And on FHA, it's called mortgage insurance premium. And what that is, is it protects the lenders in case someone defaults on a loan. So they get monies back to some extent. It's not the whole thing, but at least helps them offset some of the loss or risk. People do make a big stink about it because of the fact that it's not going towards anything for them. It's not paying off any equity. It's not going to anything that helps them per se on their loan. It's more of something that protects the lender. So I get it why people say, oh, I don't want that. But if you're in a position where you don't have much money down and you need to get a loan, then it is what it is. You know, you need to do it. But the PMI actually helps the lenders, covers them, something happens. Now, let's talk about it a little further. On the conventional side, PMI, it's a monthly fee. It depends on how much you put down and how much loan amount you have. It can range anywhere from 70 50 or $70 a month to $150, $100, $200 a month, depending on how big the mortgage is. But once it reaches your loan to value, meaning how much you owe based on how much the property is worth, conventionally, that will wipe away. FHA is through the life of the loan, so you don't get that option. If you get to a point where you feel like you got equity in it, Maybe you can refinance your FHA to a conventional and wipe away that. But if it's that big of a deal, there's we I talk to them about how to to get rid of it or how to uh, refinance so that you don't have it anymore. But it, it's really not that big of a deal unless you're the person who feels, well, I'm paying this, but it's not doing anything for me. And I get that. You know what, Jeffrey? I want to ask you, man. Uh, I'm going to ask you about grants and stuff because a little story. My wife and I, we was looking to buy homes and stuff like that, house and uh, and was going through the banks and it was certain grants I was able to qualify for, but the banks w- didn't tell me. I had to kind of do my own little research and find it on my own. You know, I got officer next door programs and then first time home buyer program. I went through the Urban League. I took the class and got a certificate and we was able to get grants that way. Are there any other grants or any other things people can qualify for to help out too, because that helped out significantly. I think I was able to get 20 grand just off that 15 to 20 grand off of grants. So because I'm licensed in in 48 states, I mean, can you imagine trying to keep up with everything that Mm. everybody has in different communities? It's difficult. So, and, and I will take up for the banks in this regard. If it's not something that's within a community, 
then I'll give them a pass. If it's in your community, you should know about it. But if it's mm. not, I'll give them a pass because there's so much out there that we don't even know everything out there. Some communities, I've been doing some stuff. I have one of my favorite realtors. She's out in Indiana, right there on Northwest Indiana, which was a place that I used to work before I left too. I used to work over in Munster and and uh, Maryville and stuff like that. So Hammond has something. Uh, East Chicago has something, you know. So mm-hmm. all these little communities have their own little this and that. I try to get involved as much to, to find out. But it's difficult to know everything out there. So I will say it's great that people like you went and start doing some research for yourself because then you can bring it up to that lender. Sometimes the lenders have to sign up for those. And so if they don't have it, then they can't do it. And that's mm-hmm. another reason why they don't know about it. The main thing that I knew about since I'm not there in Chicago anymore, the main thing that I got involved with was the IDA program, which is the Illinois Homeowner program. And that one is a major program for anybody buying in Chicago or an area which will help you with 7,500, 10,000, stuff like that, as long mm, as you qualify. And uh, that's that's the major one that we use a lot over in that area. So as long as your income is not above a certain threshold mm-hmm. and that your debt to income is not above a threshold, boom. You got and your you have to have a credit score. Now during COVID, it's six sixty. Uh, normally, it's six twenty. Okay. 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 One thing that I wanted to kind of talk to you about real quick is different mortgage options. What are some of those things that you're kind of talking about uh, with some of your clients? Whether it's a, a fixed rate or you know things of that nature. What are some of those things that you can kind of talk to our audience about understanding the different options that are available? So once upon a time adjustable rates were huge. The normal interest rates were high. So for people to be able to afford something they would get, if you're doing an FHA loan, you can get an adjustable rate that every year it can possibly change up to five years. So we'll just use something as an example. Your introductory rate was 5%. So each year it can increase 1% up to a max of five, which is 10%. So your fifth year, it could be 10%, but it can't go any higher than that. So that was a big thing once upon a time because the rates were so high, uh, 9.5%, 8.5% once upon a time. I mean, hell, back in the day, they were like 18%. Um, I love but nowadays, <laughs> yeah, so, so you're lucky. You, you guys don't know anything about that. Uh, I was lucky when I came in, it was only 9.5%. I say only. But in the 80s, it was 18%. So it's crazy. But now, because the rates are so low, you know, there's no reason to do an adjustable rate mortgage because Mm. the rates are just beautiful right now. Yes, they are. Um, So fixed rates, 30-year. If they want to pay it off sooner, some people might do 15-year or 20-year. So I discussed that with them. What's your ultimate goal? Is your ultimate goal to have your lower payment or to pay off your home faster? And that's why what I'll use to determine what's the best product for them, whether it's a 30-year, 15-year, 20-year, or get it, or getting them the 30-year so that they can have the lower payment. Because obviously, if you do a 15-year, your payment will be yeah, more. much higher than a mm-hmm. 
Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. One of the things too that I even recently uh, did a refinance and with the rates being what they are, I mean, that's saving so much in, in, in interest and, you know, based to being able to pay the home off, you know, sooner. And that's something that I hope other people are kind of looking at uh, just right now, just looking at the situation and the landscape that's out there. My team, we try to send out a uh, amortization chart to let them look at, here's what you're paying now. Here's how much you'll be paying over the course of the loan. If you refinance, this is what your payment will be. And this is when you'll pay that off even faster and sooner. So they have something that they can, that's colored charts. You know, people, you can tell somebody something, but it doesn't register. But when you can show them on a graph, on a chart, Mm -hmm. and let them see dollar amounts, boom, they're like, wow, now I get it. And so that's huge. What you're saying is, like if I see somebody and they had a 4.75, rate, I'm like, wow. So if you can get in now, if your credit score is great enough, you can get in now for three and a quarter, two point something. And then they are like, wow, okay, I need to do that. Or if they want to consolidate some debt, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, I include some of the debt. So let's see what will happen if we included this debt to help you pay this off and how that would affect you financially over the course of time. So I, I let them see all these options and then let them make up their mind. Because I don't want to push anybody to anything. I want them to see logically what makes sense, but they have to pull the trigger. Well, that's the thing, right? People make educated decisions based on data, right? So you're provided that data, and they take it and they do whatever they do with that, right? Because if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. It don't make sense. Correct. It's all about, I want to put you in a better financial situation than you walked in the door with when you called me. And I'll tell you this, Jeffrey, I was looking at like the reviews and stuff that you have. This guy, he's not just talking shit here. This guy's got so many five star reviews on his on his on his profile. And Mm -hmm. if anybody's listening to this, you could tell that he's actually cares and he's passionate about helping people in their conditions. And I'm so glad that we had you on here for this conversation, man, because this is the stuff that people need to understand, because there's a lot of people out here that think that they know these things and they don't really know any of this stuff. (laughs) I mean, and you I, dropping jewels on us. I, I was over here taking notes when you were talking a little while ago. <laughs> Let me describe what I like to tell myself when I'm out meeting agents and clients. It's like, I have a, I, I'm good. Trust me. I'm good at what I do, but I'm only <laughs> as good as my team, my support team. Uh-huh. I mean, the girls that are in the back that you never see, they like kill it with getting documentation getting the stuff processing. I mean, they are like lifesavers. I prefer to be out shaking hands and kissing babies. I want to okay. be out meeting people, talking to people, letting them know what's going on. I like to educate. That's my my whole thing. I want to come out, I want to shake your hand. I'm going to hug you. It's COVID. I'm still going to do it. And, uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I want you to know how things work. <laughs> I want you to know how things work, what we can do, how we can help you, how we can get you there. That's what I want. And then my team... Once I educate you, my team, we take over and now we get you through the process. That's what I love doing. So when you said that, that is who I am. I, I Man, like to educate. Awesome. I like to talk. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because President and I on all on this on the podcast, the, we, that's all about we, what we're trying to do. We're just trying to educate people on, on different things you can do. You don't got to stay in this cycle. You can always break the cycle. There's there's yes. things you can do. You get uh, build yourself up and stuff. You just got just got to educate yourself. You got you got to know what you're talking about and what you're getting into and see if you can handle it. But there's people in the way that can help you out with that with your decisions and stuff. So, man, yeah. this is also 
awesome. So let I'm going to throw another nugget at you. Oh, okay. I was, I, I was, I was, I was happy. So uh, a realtor friend of mine in the Kansas City area, she told me about this Facebook group, and it's a credit group, and she's a black realtor. So she, I said, oh, really? Oh, that sounds kind of cool. Can you get me in that group? And she got me in. So when I got in the group, I'm reading the different threads and posts. And, and I would say that the lady who started the group, she's from, I want to say Virginia. But I would say 90, 90 to 95% of the people, and it's like 10,000 people in this group, they're, they're Black people and Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading some of the things that they're saying, and I'm like, Oh my God, she's helping. She's doing great helping educate them on credit. And I was like, these people, they don't know a lot about the lending. So I made a post about one little thing that I did that I helped get somebody a credit score of 590, got him in his first home. Dude invited me over him and his wife. They want to make me a sweet potato pie. I'm like, cool. I got about 20 people in my inbox asking me stuff about lending and credit because they're in this situation, mm-hmm. in that situation, in that situation. And I was just like, wow, it's like this is like heaven for me because I'm I'm just talking to them in their inboxes about what they can do, how they can do it, because they had no clue. They all want to buy. They're black young people who wanted to buy, but they, and, and several of them, which made me sad, they just didn't know a direction that mm-hmm. somebody told them this and they were defeated for a while, but that group helped get them feeling better about themselves and was teaching them some ways to do things in their credit. And now they just want hope. They want any kind of hope to make them feel like they could possibly own someday. And 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 it was so enlightening to me. And I bet you there's so many more people, like you're saying, in your communities that are in the same boat. Yeah, I mean, I I told a a personal story about the first time I bought a home. I was 25 and I was looking to buy in the Bronzeville area because I worked out at the board trade. So it would be a short commute, you know, to work and whatnot. I couldn't get anyone to to give me a loan because the, the, the property I was looking at in Bronzeville, it needed some repairs. Obviously, you can imagine that it was not in the best of shape, but I saw potential in it. They wanted me to come up with 100 G's cash, man, or they wouldn't finance me. So I had to end up moving out to the south suburbs <laughs> an hour away from where I worked. And so we were just kind of telling that story about how disappointed I was because I wanted to reinvest in the area that I came from. And I wasn't allowed to, you know, just because, I mean, at, at 25, bro, I did not have 100 K. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That brings me up to something. That's a good segue. So a lot of people don't understand there's something that's called a 203K. That is a loan that's an FHA-based loan that can help you purchase a home plus rehab. So let's say the home is, oh, let's use round numbers, $100,000. Okay. If you're, and it's, you know, let's say it has some work that needs to be done. So a lot of times you can't buy the home on its own because it can't get financed sitting the way it's sitting. Mm-hmm. So you take a contractor out there, he gives you an amount, he says, oh, it's going to cost you about 25000 to get this up to code and bring this up there. So you can get a loan for the 100000 to buy it and plus the 25000 uh, to repair it. It's all encumbered into one loan. It's called 203K. And what we do is we close 
on the loan like normal. And then after it closes, the work starts with your contractor and we give him different uh, payouts until he reaches his final, maybe two or three until he reaches his final. And then he gets the rest of his money. And that's a way you can get properties like that and not have to come out of your pocket with all that money. But these are little things that all lenders don't offer and everybody is not aware of. So another educational tool. Brother, that you've been you just been hitting you've been hitting gym after gym because that's something I wish I'd have known about. 203K. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's an FHA renovate. I like to say renovation because I don't want to call it a rehab loan because then some people think it's only for repairs. Only but for you can repairs. also use that because let's say some realtors have been driving people around in certain na- neighborhoods. I want to live in that neighborhood, but the house only has one bed or one car garage, you can use that same product to get you another car garage, get you another Mm. bedroom. Add addition. Man, that's nice. It doesn't have to be just repairs. Man, that's awesome there because, yeah, like you said, Jeffrey, uh, some people looking at, oh, okay, I want to get this house, but, man, it got so much work that needs to be done, and I don't think I have the money to do this and put that type of, you know. So this, you get two two in one. Exactly. And let me tell you this. I'm big on these HGTV programs. I watch them all. I was about to say, Bill. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and I sit there and I look at them and I'm like, okay, so you see these people always working on some of these homes are way up there. but And so they may be doing a different type of renovation. But the ones that you see where some people are in 150, 250 area and they're, they're buying them and then you see all the renovation, I'm thinking, man, I wish they would talk a little bit about the lending side and tell them they got a renovation loan because that's... They didn't have mm-hmm. to all come. I don't want everybody to think that all these people had to come out of their pockets for those. Right. Things. I think that's what people think, man, mm-hmm. when they see that stuff. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. Yeah. That's what that's what I think. Like, man, I, I want to get this house, but man, it needs to be updated and, and, and yes. modernized and stuff like that. But that's gonna cost money, and I, I don't have. But what you yeah, saying? And so with this you here, can do it. And the first thing you have to do when you're doing it is you got to go with the appraiser and the contractor and they have to do the must-haves first. Then after you get the must-haves, then you can see what things you want to add. So, you you know, you don't like the countertops. uh, That sink is old and Mm -hmm. all of that. So you Mm -hmm. can add all of that to it as long as... So what I try to do in the beginning is, let's say I qualify you for $200,000. Now we want you, you want to do a renovation loan. So you're at a $200,000. So if you go find this house that costs $125,000, you know roughly you got uh, somewhere around $70,000, k to mess with for the repairs mm-hmm. so or renovations. Now you go out with your contractor and look at your must-have. So let's say he told you, okay, you need all this. That's going to cost you forty grand. So now you got like thirty grand to play around with with what you want, some of mm-hmm. your improvements that you like. So... That's kind of how it works. And, and I work closely with them step by step so they understand the process. And it's a great, great product. I'm sure some people that may listen to this episode, they may think in their minds, okay, what other costs that I may not be thinking about in addition to closing costs? Are there any sort of other costs that anyone that's looking to buy or invest have to kind of be cognizant of in this process, Jeffrey? Um the, the only other things that I can think of outside of the because most of the stuff are included in closing costs, but the only things that I can think of outside of that 
would be um, inspections uh, because that's an optional thing. But and so we don't include that into closing because that's up to the individual. But inspections, other than that, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything else. If in the Chicago area, mm. let me change that. In the Chicago area, it's attorney fees because <laughs> Chicago is one of the few areas that require you to have an attorney. Yeah, quote. that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that we don't have that in our uh, good faith estimate. But yes, ter- attorney fees and home inspection. Now, home, is home inspection is option. But I unless you're doing a renovation loan, which we're going to you're going to get an inspection with your contractor and stuff like that. I would advise people to do those anyway, because that protects you. I've lost uh, two clients this month with deals actually in the Chicagoland area, because when the inspection came back, there were some things on there that they, they didn't want to deal with. And so they got out of the contract. So I would always invite somebody, but that's monies you pay on your own. That's not part of it. Right. Right. No, getting the house, man, definitely had that inspection. Inspection. Yeah, that's, that's 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 so because crucial. man, you get in some and some start breaking apart and stuff, and that's like that movie uh with Tom Hanks called what's it called Big House or something. They was moving in and and that house was just terrible. Everything was falling <laughs> apart and <laughs> yeah. hey, you don't want to move. You don't want to come in here. You don't want that kind of surprise. No, no, you don't want to fall through no floors or nothing. So. Yeah, definitely get that inspection. <laughs> it's, it's only, I think it's only a couple hundred bucks, I believe. It's not, it's not that much. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've seen them range anywhere from, yeah, like you said, 200 to five, about five, yeah. depending mm-hmm. on, you know, how extensive the house is. But, you know, if they got to crawl in the crawl spaces and it's something's attics, all of this. So if you got something over the garage, so it just depends on where they have to go, how much they got to do. But, it's worth it to me in the end oh, yeah. than paying thousands of dollars on repairs on something after the fact. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's peace of it's peace of mind. That's that's the way people should yes. look at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, praise. That's a good point. Peace of mind. Peace of mind. That's a good point. Hey, you got a lot of honey do lists there. If, if <laughs> and those are honey do lists you don't want. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, uh-uh. those those expensive. <laughs> yes. No, because not not only is she side iron you, you side iron your damsel. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, on the flip side of it, so we we talked a little bit more about you know the home ownership piece, but I wanted to get your thoughts on individuals that are out here now. That's like, hey, you know what? I want to reinvest in some of these urban communities, right? So do you have any advice or just maybe any just like thoughts on the process from individuals that are looking to get into the real estate investing game of things? So another little gem story. It's not urban though. I just did a loan for a gal who came from Russia uh, over to Miami. Nice. And she bought a beautiful um, townhome down in Miami and she's a single woman just doing her thing. I was so proud of her. She's cool, a teacher down there. So that was last year. This week, she hit me up and said, just what you just asked. She said, okay, I want to start investing in properties. How do I get started? Where do I get started? So what I told her is similar to what I'll say to you for urban different areas. You 
you know, can go around and look and see if they have any type of grants or things that you can get money to start investing. Because when you invest, depending on what you're trying to do, you're going to have to put a little bit more down to offset the risk. Because what lenders look at when you're investing is they need a little bit more out of you because you don't live in this property. So it's easy for you to walk away if something's not right. So that's why they look for a little bit extra money. It's not because they're trying to do anything to you or make, but the more money you put into something, the least or less chance it is for you to walk away from. When you don't live in it, it's easier if you're only putting down 1%, 5%. It's like, oh, I'm gone. But <laughs> if you put 10, 15, 20% down, then it makes a difference. Now, during COVID, everything is a little different. The, mm-hmm. the risks are higher, so they ask for a lot more money. But normal days, you could put 10% down. And uh, sometimes I tell them, take the money out of your, your home that you live in and use that. For your down payment because it's worth it. If you're using this to flip a property, you're using this to rent something out, take out equity of your current property, use that, it's worth it. If you found a good investment in a good area where rents are coming in strong and that's what you want to do, then do that. Uh, if you can find some of these little offsite grants for different communities, try that. But you want to start doing your research, like you guys have said. Start looking up different areas where you can come up with money. But the main place is is if you have a property, take some of the equity out of there because that would be the best investment you'll ever have is real estate. If you start searching different sites, real estate is one of the number one investments in the country. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Try it. Uh, when, when we're thinking about leverage, right? So kind of using some of that leverage, is that something where you're seeing a lot of your customers kind of kind of doing with, with maybe their initial property using that and maybe just trying yes. to figure, okay, okay. Yes, because I think they, you know, twofold. Number one, they know um, it's a great investment. They have some, I mean, and they, they got kind of used to, oh, okay, I can make these payments. Oh, okay, I know how to do this. Yeah, let's uh, let's do something else now. I, I can handle this. Oh, oh, it's not as difficult as I thought. So mm. now I want to get on the other side of it and see how I can make money off of it. And that's a great situation. You want to get all your information together if you want to have a property management. Somebody, If you're not one of those who can handle getting these calls at 10, 11 o'clock from your tenants, hey, I need, uh, you know, then you got to find property management. So you got to start thinking all the little different nuances, depending on what you're trying to do. If you're flipping, you don't have that. But if you're renting, you got to start thinking of all these things. But I try to walk them through all of that as well, too. Well, that's a great point that you brought up because you have the people that are just looking in. They want to re, uh, re- renovate, rehab, turn it around and get it back on the market. You have some people that are looking for a long test. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. I have a good friend that I grew up with that I admire him a lot. He's just, he's kept this property forever. I just, I don't know how he does it. And he is his own property management. Wow. He, uh, he has a five unit building out in Blue Island and Dude is, he goes over to the property quite often, talks to the tenants. I'm just like, hey, more power to you. For me, that's a little much for me, but I love (laughs) his tenacity and and he's doing well. I think the biggest issue for him when he started 
And there's no clear-cut answer to this because him and I used to talk about it. How do you know when you have good tenants? How do you weed out somebody good from bad? Good you can't even always go by a credit score right. because the, the problem with that is, and I'm going to stereotype here, Uh-oh. the problem with that is, is that you get a good... So what he did is he found this young, good lady who was single, who was like a hard worker. She was like a workaholic and her credit score was great. But what ended up happening is she had a knuckleheaded boyfriend who all he did mm. is sit around and smoke weed yeah. on the front of the property. Yeah. So yeah. now he's bringing yeah. on the bad seed that smokes with him and they're just sitting there. And so you just don't know. Right. Uh, there's no way to to really say who's good and who's bad. Um, but he's he's had this property for over 20 years and he is doing quite well. So it's it's just like you said, it's a matter. Some people want to get in, find a property, flip it, put it back on the market, sell it for more than they purchased it and rehabbed it. You know, I want to get to a point where I just want to chill out and just collect money from all my property. And I mm-hmm. and I'm done. I'm going on trips. I'm chill. <laughs> you yep. know, that's what some people do. And then you have the people like, uh, I don't know if you guys see, I know the names of all these guys on HGTV, uh, Tarek El Musa, <laughs> who, yeah, Tarek, who I yeah. remember when Tarek started, he was working, living in his mom's garage. He is in Cali, but still, you could do that wherever. And uh, right now, we have Allison from Windy City Rehab, who's doing stuff on the north side there in Chicago. She yep. was killing it as well, too. And I love Allison. She got with a bad contract. But yeah, I was about the, the lawsuits right. and stuff. Yeah, but, uh, I heard some of them have been resolved. Okay. But she's awesome. Yeah. Yes. But like you said, uh, Jules, yeah, we, we saw a little of that news with that yeah. contract that she got hooked up with on that. Yeah. Man. And uh, she got a different guy now. But yeah, he he screwed up. Because he was taking monies out of the pot. Yep. You know? oh, oh, man. But, uh, and then he was cutting corners so mm-hmm. he could make more money for his company too. But uh, they finally split ways and now they had some lawsuits back and forth. She's won quite a few of them. So I, I'm happy for her because she, yeah. she is like vintage. She loves Chicago and she likes to keep Chicago vintage things in her properties. And they are awesome. To circle back on real quick, it was something that I really love the point about your friend that has that building at Blue Island, right? So you have to think about that Blue Island area for people that are outside of Chicago. This is a very, you know, it's a blue collar neighborhood, an area. Your friend, basically probably that building is probably everything to him. So when I hear that story about how he's that property manager, he knows that unit inside out, right? And he cares. He's picking up those phone calls. A lot of people aren't going to take that type of pride in a unit like that he's doing. Like for me personally, I'm going to hire a property manager. I don't want my phone ringing at 11 o'clock with a leaky toilet or faucet. I don't want to, I don't want to know anything about this, but this guy that you're talking about, he probably takes those calls. He gets over there the next morning and he's taking care of things. And I'm like, man, people like him. God bless him. God bless you. I mean, I remember him and his daughter went before now she's 20 something years old, but they went over and they were painting in the corridors mm. and she was probably 14, 15 years old at that time. I mean, he was taking pride. I've gone over, when I come back to town, I go over to the building. We go over together and check things out. He just asked me my perspective on different things here and there, but uh, it's immaculate. He's 
and he's one man. He's doing it himself. More power to you, buddy. Dude, <laughs> I, hey, I definitely appreciate hearing hearing stories like your your buddy, man. Because as as an officer, I go into many different units and building that just absentee landlords. The building is one run down. People are complaining. Water's not working. The heat is not working. The building's just terrible. The doors don't work. Sometimes you have to be buzzed in. You Jules, know, security. call them what they are. Call them what they really yeah. are. Slumlords. Yeah, they're slumlords. Yeah, there you go, Man. Jeffrey. Yeah, they're slumlords. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but it's just messed up because you get people, good people and bad, living in these conditions and stuff, and and, and it's messed up. And and I was like, man, why are you, I, I'm even telling them, why are you keep paying your, your, your rent and stuff and things are not getting taken care of? You know, so sometimes I hit them. I hit them up with numbers to. Well, I would say this, Jules. I would say this. Probably most of those are also Section Eight. Yeah. They are getting money. They're getting their money automatically. They're getting yeah. their money, right? Yeah. yeah. So they're good. They're good. <laughs> yeah. Man, this mess. Yeah, this mess. Well, I guess. Well, you know what? If they if they okay living like that, all right. But I'd be sitting there. I'd be going in some of these buildings and stuff, and I'm just like, no, nah, you ain't got to live like this. But I will say this. I'm going to push back on you real quick, gently. But I think that's a privilege in that statement that you made because sometimes some people, that's all that they can afford right. or maybe that's all that they can have. Let's say the rent was $800. You know, the government is paying like 650 or 700 of it and the, the people only have to pay 100 So they, mm-hmm. this is what they can afford. So they can't go anywhere because right. where else am I going to go that I can pay $100? No kidding. And so I think to that point, Jules, that's kind of where I was coming from with that. You know, some people, their circumstances are what they are. But I think that it's important for these conversations to be had, because for maybe some of these individuals that may be looking for that next path ahead, maybe of getting out of situations like that. Here are some solutions that Jeffrey's brought up. And and I hope that, you know, maybe some people are taking a little bit out of this episode. Good counterpoint, though, for sure. Man, hope so, man. Hope they listen. And just so everyone knows that doesn't Mm. that doesn't know this, we do take income from things like social security, disability, all those things you think may not be counted as income, they we count those as income. So you don't always have to have a nine to five if you have income coming from SSI, social security, um, whatever kind of assistance, we consider that as part of the income as long as it fits into a criteria. So don't get defeated. There's a ways there's always ways that we there's always a way. you need to check with your lender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. There, there, there's a lot of people out here that have that supplemental income, and that's good to hear that that's being taken into consideration as well. Yeah. Some people are solely on that, and they still can purchase a home. And so probably the best client that I ever did, and this was back in my day, where this uh, she was uh, 60 some odd years old, and it was the first home she ever bought. It was a $47,000 home in Gary, Indiana. And literally, she came into my office after it closed and cried and brought all of us, you know, greens and hog moths and all that stuff. Just brought that for the whole office. It, it was awesome. Man, they be hooking Jeffrey uh, up over there, man. <laughs> <laughs> she was, man, she was 60-some years old. That was her first home. And it was only a little $40,000 house, but it was the be- She was the best client, dude. The, the best client. She was appreciative. Wow. Of 60 years old. And 
Yes. First time wow. she had a butterhouse and she was just so happy. And I was so happy for her. I was about to say, I know you feel excited. Little things like that. Oh man, dude, yeah. I, I didn't know that that was the first time she ever owned a home. And oh wow, I'm glad I could make your dream come true for mm-hmm. The people have to realize that there's a whole pocket of people out here that don't experience some of the privilege and the money and the resources. So that's an amazing story. I guarantee you, bitch, she probably. She probably cooked you the best batch of greens she ever cooked anybody. <laughs> hey, man, she put them putting them greens. <laughs> I tell you, everybody in my office was loving it. I tell you that. <laughs> man. Ooh, nothing but some my up. greens, boy. Man. It, in, in regards to uh, the real estate investing piece, um, I know there's a lot of people out here that when they want to kind of dip their toe into that kind of water, they're thinking, well, do I want to take this risk on in my name or do I want to look at maybe a separate entity, right? So we have LLCs and we have like different type of limited partnerships. What are your thoughts on that dynamic and what advice do you have to people that, you know, maybe looking to kind of jump in the water a little bit? So I'd say 90% of the lenders are going to make you close it in your name because we have to have your credit. We have to have your information to be able to give you a loan. But after you close, you can put it in your LLC because that's what people are trying to do, build an empire and they build an empire under a certain name. So I have tons of clients that we close them and then they put it in the LLC, then they go get another one. So my advice is almost 90 some percent is going to make you close it in your name because they have to have someone that's attached to this credit report and this and that. But after it closes, and you can do that right after it closes, then you can put it into another. So I would say, you know, go ahead and look at getting one and figuring out what you want to call it and all of that. And then after you're done, put it in your LLC and move on to your next one if you want to get multiple ones. What's that process? Is it pretty easy to establish an LLC? I mean, is it as simple as maybe going to a legal Zoom or would you recommend talking to Correct. a lawyer? Okay. It's just as simple as that. Now, if you think you're going to um, do multiple, then you might want to sit down and talk to a real estate attorney um, and just get some advice. Some of them just give you free consultation. So I would go there first, get some free consultation from somebody and tell them, here's my ultimate goal. I want to buy this first one. And if I think it goes well, I might buy two or three more. and then ask them what would their advice be. We do have products and programs to help people who are investing because a lot of times when you're a self-employed person, when you're doing all these properties, you're writing so much off that your income looks like you don't make much on your tax returns. However, there are some products and programs out there that can help you like a bank statement loan where you just they just only look at what you put into your account every month. For a debt service loan, where we don't look at tax returns, we don't do any of that if you're an investor. All we look at is if you're going to rent a property out, we want to know, does the rent match the payment? If they can match you and your credit is good, boom, you're in. Another gem right there. <laughs> what a, and this has been an episode full of them, man. Well, Jeffrey, before you get out of here, man, can you tell our audience a little bit more about PRMG? you know, a little bit about, you know, uh, where you guys are located and how our listeners can find you on social. Because I'm telling you guys, 
outside of the bear stuff is how I basically got uh, associated with Jeffrey. But in general, you know, I, I just want people to be able to figure out how they can connect with you and also how you can maybe assist some of these people. Because as you mentioned, you're licensed in 48 different states. We have viewers and listeners of this podcast all over the mm-hmm. U.S. So yep. I definitely would like for people to kind of figure out how they can connect with you. So if you're in uh, Wyoming or New York, sorry. <laughs> I can't help you. <laughs> Damn, Wyoming, New York. Any place else, I'm there. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm located, obviously, in Kansas right now. I'm not in uh, Chicago land anymore. Uh, so I, when I was in college here, I didn't appreciate it. So I left and went back to Chicago. And then I was like, dang, that's kind of a cool place down there. And it's a good place to raise my kid. Let me go back there. They love me. Hey, let's go back. <laughs> no, I'm back here now. But you can reach me at 785-650-4727. I answer that sucker 24-7. So I'm, I'm, I'm available. I tell all my real, realtors, it's like, I work when you work because we know people have all kinds of shifts. So sometimes people will call you up at eight, nine o'clock and show me this house. So the realtors just, they want a lender who's available for them when they're out showing the house. You know, I need a pre-approval letter. We want to make an offer. My email is Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-L-C at prmg.net. I'm always here to try to help people because I believe my passion is I feel like everybody deserves an opportunity. I'm not saying everybody deserves a house because there's things sometimes you do that you have to pay the piper, but you mm-hmm. deserve the opportunity. So I want to help. Well, Jeffrey, man, that's good, man. We also want to appreciate you and thank you got your organization here with PRMG. We, we're with PRMG Cares. When you donate time and money to local, you know, nationwide charities, man. Oh, look at big, you. Hey, look man, big you. kudos, man. Big kudos <laughs> to your group, man. I just want to put, you know, we just want to put that out there so people know, hey, man, you guys not only walk the walk, you talk the talk too, man. You you guys, not only you say you want to educate and help people, you really educate and help people in everything, in all, all, all areas, man. We just want to say thank you. appreciate you, man. I appreciate you talking about that. I try not to pat myself or our company on the back with that kind of stuff because that's, they do care about the community. So they try to put stuff out there. So I'm, thank you for bringing that up. That stuff matters, man. And and whether you wanted to say it, we said for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. We appreciate having you on, man. I appreciate it. And yeah, we got it. We'll be talking about the Bears. You know how it is. Win or lose or draw. I'm loyal forever. Yep. Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you so much. All right. Now, I appreciate you, brother. Much appreciate love, you, Jeff, man. All right. Now, bear down. Bear down, my friends. Jules, going to hit him with that curtain call, bruh. All right, this curtain call goes out to the Building Neighborhoods and Affordable Home Program. BNAH encouraged home buyers to move into five targeted neighborhood areas. Inglewood Square, North Lawndale, South Lawndale, Humble Park, Garfield Park, and Woodlawn. The program provides up to $60,000 in purchase assistance to buyers of single-family homes constructed under the City Lots for Working Family Program. Buyer must use the home as their primary residence for a minimum of 10-year occupancy period, or the home must be sold to an income-qualified home buyers. People, if you're looking to buy a home, please take advantage of this program. This is a very, very great program, and that's why we have a part curtain call today. Thank you. Appreciate that curtain call, fam. 
As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Deezer. We appreciate your continued support of this podcast. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.